2: Hey, guys, sports betting season is in full force. NHL and NBA playoffs, we enjoyed those, and now football season is here. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is US, you can receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. No matter what the season, BetUS has all the games, NBA, NHL, team, player props, loads of NFL and college plays, whether futures or individual game odds. You can bet UFC matches and props, PGA golfers, and round matchups, and live betting on most sports, including golf. The online casino has hundreds of games, and the race book has all your horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable, and the sharp BetUS mobile platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my lead and partner with a sports betting company with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.
1: In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today.
3: Well, somewhat true. I mean, we're still talking college football here. He's still the reigning reigning king of college football. Easy for me to say. Maybe that's why he's in this seat full time. And I'm just, you know, biding time, filling in for him. It's Dan Matthews, executive producer of the show. And for Chuck today here on this Tuesday, always glad to be joining y'all. Jam-packed show that we have coming up for you all here today. As normally on Mondays and Fridays, if you've been listening to the show during the season, you've noticed that we would go for guests. But I just said, you know what? There's so much to talk about, and uh, it's going to be Heath Klein in tomorrow with you. Uh, Russ Mitchell has promised that he will be back in. By the way, too, Uh, just a quick heads up. uh, Go ahead and put Russ's uh, personal info out there. Russ has been a world traveler the last week. So the week before he was in Scotland. Hey guys, can't do it in Scotland. I said, okay, yeah, that's 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 fair. Hadn't had a chance to catch up with him until later on in the next week, and asked him, "Hey, you coming on?" Nothing. Didn't hear back from him. Uh, hey dude, sorry, I'm in London. But he has assured me that tomorrow he is back in. So, uh, Heath Klein, if you're out there listening, you get to uh, enjoy the uh, great 15 minutes that we usually have weekly with Russ Mitchell. And we always appreciate that with college football news. But uh, we got a good one today here for you as uh, coming up here in less than 10 minutes. We're going to be talking Florida State because you will talk about a program that has just completely turned it around and has just absolutely done Really the remarkable to even be in a position like they are going to be on Saturday when they take on Florida, a wounded Florida team, a Florida team that morale is at an all time low. So much in fact that they had to go ahead and move on from their head coach. So not only are you having an opportunity to be able to prolong their misery if you're Florida State, but you are also having a chance to make a bowl game for the first time, I believe, since twenty 18, 2017, the end of the 2017 season? I believe so. And if you're Florida State, that should never be words that are said to describe you. Like, you need to, at this point, be, hey, are we going to Charlotte for the ACC championship game? Hey, are we going to be in position to, uh, I don't know, possibly make the college football playoff? But that's what Mike Norvell is trying to work back to. So we're going to talk current and soon-to-be Florida State players and uh, everything that is happening with the program with uh, Ingram Smith of the NOLCast. He is going to join us here, like I said, in uh, now about five minutes. So uh, we look forward to that. Uh, Bottom of this hour, I, I am just made of questions when it comes to the LSU coaching search because I've told you what I truly believe the LSU coaching search is, is that I really think that it's a lot like if you're a Braves fan out there, you know about Alex Anthopoulos. And for those of you who don't necessarily know about Alex Anthopoulos, he is the general manager. Uh, actually, now I think he's the vice president of baseball ops. Anyway, he's the guy that makes the baseball personnel decisions in much for the Atlanta Braves. And there's two things that you know about Alex Anthopoulos is, number one, he doesn't work in the rumors like any rumor that you hear out there he has told the media both local and national it ain't gonna come from me and the other part is he ain't gonna give it to you so don't reach out to him asking it he just doesn't he doesn't act that way and it sounds like a lot like scott woodward is the same way as scott woodward is somebody who seemingly shoots large and also too once he makes that decision and the hire is made you're kind of like wow I did not know that. I did not see that coming. But there's a lot of rumors out there, so we'll sift through those. And uh, also, too, the other thing that I really kind of want answered is I know in the long run it really doesn't matter with this LSU program, but for this team, I actually want to know, do people want to make a bowl game? Because I heard what Damone Clark said about ta- uh, taking on Texas A&M and playing Texas A&M. He said, yeah, we're going to beat them. And if LSU wins on Saturday, that makes them 6-6. Six and six, They can go to a bowl game. So... Uh, that's uh, a lot of things that I want to get into with Matt Moscona of ESPN 1045 in Baton Rouge. So we will do that. Uh, top of next hour, we're going to get into uh, a little bit of uh, Georgia Bulldog talk and also some recruiting around the program with uh, one of my favorites uh, when it comes to uh, such topics. And he is Rusty Mansell of Dogs 247. We will do that in the top of hour two. And in the bottom of hour two, if we're talking dogs, then we got to talk the team that they're going to be taking on in the SEC Championship game in a week and a half and that is the Alabama Crimson Tide and if we talk the Alabama Crimson Tide I think you know where we go and that is to talk with our good buddy Drew DeArmond of 97.7 The Zone ESPN in Huntsville but coming up next like I said it's time to talk some FSU and let's do that with our good buddy the creator and host of the NOLCast he is Ingram Smith and we're going to do that right here on the Chuck Oliver show it's Dan Matthews and for Chuck right here on a Tuesday
1: The king of college football no matter where you go. With a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show.
3: Things are much better in Tallahassee. At least that's been the case after the month of September because if you're a Knowles fan, Well, let's just say that football has been a little bit more pleasant on Saturday afternoons to you and a man who has been following the action from the beginning, good and bad. All the such talks about it every week on the Knollcast. He is the creator and host of said Noel He is Ingram Smith. And whenever we want to talk Knowles, we turn to the man Ingram. How we doing? I understand uh, that uh, a little bit of disappointment that uh, the much taller and much more Southern gentleman was not here today, but hopefully I can suffice for the time being.
4: Well, I have a long-standing contract to only work with Chuck. So, uh, you know, we'll step outside written rule every once in a while. And uh, ever so happy to join you, Dan. Good, I, I, good to hear that you're in the ship.
3: I appreciate I appreciate it. We have a tacit agreement, I guess, for the day that we can make this happen. Uh, let's just go ahead and start with the uh, general broad question. But I think that everybody wants to know about this Florida State program. And that's what's allowed this turnaround to happen.
4: Um, yeah, it certainly goes counter the narrative going into the season where you really thought if you're a fair state you needed to stack as many wins on the front half of the schedule because the back half was gonna be real the where where the real challenges were. Um you know you have to give you have to give credit to a staff for not losing a locker room, a team, uh individuals, particularly as many transfer portal kids as you brought in, to not lose them entirely after losing to Jacksonville State after losing to Wake Forest, after losing to Louisville to finding yourself 0-4. So, you know, they kept plugging away at it. Got a couple wins that, uh, you know, you had a nice place on the schedule with UMass to kind of get your footing and uh, Syracuse and then you know, one solid performance uh, after another. Now it's hasn't it been, <laughs> it hasn't been a, a, a flawless turnaround by any means. But to start out 0-4 and, and find yourself at 5-6 at is. Is uh, you know quite the turnaround for a team that still has some very real deficiencies and holes in the roster.
3: Yeah, and we'll get to trying to fix those deficiencies and holes in the roster here in just a second with how they're doing on the recruiting trail. But Mike Norvell, I mean, are you even kind of surprised? You kind of hinted to this a little bit in your last answer about him being able to actually say, "Hey, guys, it's cool. We got this. We can turn this thing around."
4: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it felt like kind of just. Open, meaningless commentary, almost not borderlining on a backhanded compliment, but there comes a, a period of time where you can only be like, "Hey, this team didn't quit, or this team keeps trying, or whatever," and then, uh, and then they finally saw some, you know, some real kind of uh, proof in the pudding, for lack of better phrase. I mean, they started to get victories, they started to see uh, what that was like, and and continued to. Have a real work ethic of getting better. They've also made some some minor tweaks when it comes to personnel, particularly in the secondary, that have uh, have let that defense be a lot more competent. And anytime you have a, a defensive line uh, the likes of which Florida State has, it certainly can make other units better. And the defense as a whole has really grown up and been as you know as much of a driving force behind this turnaround as anything. But uh, overall. You know, they've done i I'll reiterate what I said and what you alluded to, they've done an exceptional, exceptional job of maintaining buy-in from a roster that traditionally you wouldn't necessarily think that would be the case.
3: He is the creator and host of the NoCast. He is Ingram Smith. And to kind of just, you know, one more on this same topic here is you talked about the buy-in. You've talked about really just being able to calm the waters. I mean, do you, what do you think necessarily he was able to get a pulse on this team that, fair or unfair, you could maybe even say Willie Taggart just could not get that. That's why Mike Norvell was given the patience to be able to get this thing to where it is right now.
4: Yeah, well, you certainly – I mean, even if Mike Norvell had, uh, you know, only won one game this year, I don't know that Florida State would have been at a place to change. I mean, when you have three transitional recruiting classes in the early signing uh, period era, you're basically – you're not forfeiting on the class because you do sign some kids. But, you know, the, the early results on these transition classes in the early signing day – uh, era or that they're really horrible. Um so I, I think there would have been patience here regardless, both because of a you know acknowledgement that this is a long term rebuild and financially Florida State's not in a place to want to pay somebody else not to coach right now. So that certainly helped him but um you know, really, a lot of these answers that I come to are just, you know, Jermaine Johnson's a unicorn. Not not only the fact that he's one of the better defensive players in college football this year, but he's a guy who's not just a transfer portal kid that wanted to boost just draft stock, but wanted to go to a place where he could really be part of a turnaround and, and a guy with that expectation. Um you know, really has been kind of one of your real leaders who has gotten a lot of other players to buy in. He's the best player on your team. is the hardest working player on your team. And uh, getting guys like Thompson, Keir Thomas, the other defensive end, Jamie Robinson, uh, Dylan Gibbons is an offensive line transfer from Notre Dame who's, who's done really extraordinarily well for them. Uh, they, they really hit a home run, not just with the players that they got in the portal, but the the kind of the personalities and, and personas that they got in the portal.
3: Yeah, I mean, I was going to go Jordan Travis next, but since you led right into it, I mean, Jermaine Johnson, you hit it right on the head. I mean, being exactly what this defense needed. Do you think that this defense and and, and the defense up front is what they are without – half the production they've given him, or even as well, I mean, not even having him on the field. Do you think that this defense is able to have the turnaround they've had?
4: Certainly not without him on the field. I mean, they, they have uh, a couple nice young prospects, but not anybody that they really want to give massive amounts of snaps to. So, you know, not, not just in the production that he gives you, but also that he serves as kind of a bridge here between some of these uh, project defensive ends that he signed last year. Uh, he's just been – I mean, the, uh, I know this would be fun for all your listeners, but I could sit here and talk about Jermaine Johnson and the importance that he's been for Florida State for 20 minutes. I mean, it's just uh, remarkable uh, what he's provided. And he's legitimately, in my opinion, one of the best four or five defensive players in college football this year. And he's been from the Notre Dame game to the, <laughs> to the Boston College game. Uh, he's been the one consistent thing that Florida State's really been able to build around. So it's hard for me to even – give you an answer as to what this defense would look like without him.
3: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know him much, Ingram, when he was at Georgia. I mean, obviously, he was there for the last couple of years, but I did have a chance to catch up with him in Charlotte at ACC kickoff, and he just seemed like he was a guy that was ready for an opportunity, like ready to say, hey, now I've got an opportunity to really show what I can do at this level, and I guess that if nothing else, it was just kind of a, hey, I get to be an every play, every every day player every play I'm on the field, if I want to be all those different types of things. And it seems like he's kind of rewarded them for that. So I don't think there's any doubt about it. A couple of offensive before uh, we uh, wrap you up with uh, some recruiting. And that is Ingram Smith, again, the creator and host of the NOLCast. Uh, Jordan Travis. I mean, somebody, I think you got to tip your hat to him, right? For, uh, you know, a lot of people believing that if nothing else, after that first game, this was going to be the McKenzie Milton show they brought both he and Milton to Charlotte for ACC kickoffs that showed you what they thought of him, but just uh, what do you think it speaks of him to be able to kind of navigate all of that and find his way into being the player that he's been this year for this Knowles team?
4: He's done a great job uh, developing still. I believe after last Saturday, he's basically started a year's worth of games. So um, a season's worth of games. So he's still got, he's got a lot to learn and, He's got a lot of uh, room on kind of his development arc, assuming that, uh, you know, that continues to happen. But a lot of the progress that the coaching staff thought they saw in spring and and uh, in summer camp is, you know, playing out here at the back end of the schedule as far as him developing more as a passer, making better decisions. Um, it's just a guy who has a really unique skill set as far as his ability to run the ball and his exclusive ability to run the ball. And he's, kind of you're trying to never take that away from him but at the same time develop him into a more well rounded passer and, and that appears to be what's happening. His game against Boston College was his best performance by a uh, by quite an amount when you look at, you know, statistically and you know, some of his uh, production in the
3: passing game. Yeah, and Jay Sean Corbin and Treshawn Ward, I mean what have they meant to him in this offense?
4: Well Jay Sean and Treshawn have been pretty much everything when it comes to the Florida State running game and and uh Jay Sean is a kid who uh, was a super highly regarded recruit and went out to Texas A&M. Suffered a leg injury and it just you know sometimes <laughs> it's tricky, Dan. Sometimes kids come back from injuries in three months that you think is going to take a year, and sometimes you really need that second year mm-hmm. of of a rehab to regain that explosiveness, really you know, fully get that burst back. And that's that's what it looks to occur. I mean, Gordon was a solid running back last year, but never really had that you know that taking it in the third fourth and fifth gear to really uh turn a 9 yard play into a 29 yard run or something like that and you've seen more of that from him this year
3: Well, it's definitely a lot more on the positive side. I know we said we're going to jump into a little bit of recruiting, but maybe as we get closer to signing day, we'll do that. Because I see Ron Washington over there uh, putting up the stop sign with the hard out coming up. Uh, So, uh, Ingram, really appreciate your time, buddy. Let's get you on back soon. And I promise you next time, like I said, it's the much skinnier, much more southern, much taller Chuck Oliver sitting in this chair, except for me.
4: Well, you know, I'll be in the studio one day and I'll tell ah. some of the stories that occurred when I used to stand in for Chuck myself. Ah. So uh, I, uh, I'm envious of you. Enjoy it and uh, sit here in front of you, man.
3: All, always, always good. Ingram Smith, happy Thanksgiving to you, buddy. Let's talk soon. You too. I appreciate it again, Ingram Smith. And, you know, I think the other part, too, with this Florida State team is I've talked about before of learning how to win. And it's weird to think that when you factor in the last four years and how it's gone for this FSU program, this is a program that's having to learn how to win all over again. And people might point to, well, Dan, look at the early 2000s. They were still going 8-4. and four. They were still, at least if nothing else, in the vicinity of winning ball games. And the last few years, that hasn't necessarily been the case. Yeah, they've had a couple of pops here and there. But for the most part, this has been a program that when they've played in meaningful games, like we saw on Saturday against Boston College, it looked like, once, once again, as an FSU fan, uh-oh, it's going to get away from us. They found a way to win
1: it's always college football time in the south now back to more of the king of college football chuck oliver on southern sports today
3: show continuing here on a tuesday just had to make one quick little note here you know i mean hopefully i didn't keep you all waiting too long but dan matthews in for chuck here as uh, happy thanksgiving to everybody out there and hopefully uh if your travels are underway they're going safely and if they're not quite yet well hopefully they will be safely as well Uh, always love talking with this guy i mean he probably now begrudgingly said, yes, I'll join you tomorrow if you agree to stop texting me nonsense at odd hours at times. And he is Matt Moscona, host of After Further Review weekday afternoons on ESPN 104.5 Baton Rouge. I mean, you can find him whiskey and wine on YouTube Live, Morning Scone. Like, what all don't you do other than put up with my text message nonsense? <laughs>
5: You can text me anytime, Dan. You can, anytime. It might take me a minute to get back, but text me anytime.
3: Man. I mean, I, uh, I've got to believe though there have been a couple of times though where you see Dan Matthews come across the screen and you're like, Ah, oh, God.
5: No, no, because you're, you're whenever LSU is in the midst of a coaching search, you're one of a bajillion a day. <laughs> okay. Hey, who who they hired? Who's the new coach? Right. What do you got? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. We'll find out
3: together. Yeah, actually, I mean, we'll get to that in just a second. And I, and I did have a topic on a little bit later on because I, I do kind of think that there is a faction of LSU fans that are like, where's my pound of flesh? Like A&M got Jimbo. Washington got Chris Peterson. Am I really going to possibly get Bill O'Brien? That's really what I'm going to possibly get here?
5: <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to be Bill O'Brien. Thank God. Uh, there is. There is the um, – I, I mean, here's the comp I'd give you on Bill O'Brien. I think the Bill O'Brien thing is very comparable to Kiffin in 2016 where Jimmy Sexton was basically shopping him for every job. If you remember, Kiffin was mentioned for every job in 2016. Ultimately took a pay cut, left Bama as the OC to go to FAU just because Saban and Kiffin needed to be apart. I think it's similar with Bill O'Brien. I think it's Jimmy Sexton pumping Bill, pumping Mark Stoops, you know, just getting a lot of his guys' name out there to try to get him better deals, and that's sort of the nature of how this works. You leverage opportunities to get better, better deals at your current spot or a better opportunity somewhere else. So, I, I think that's all it is. But you're, I think the bigger point you're making there, Dan, is Scott Woodward has a reputation of of splash hires. I mean, he's already done it at LSU with Kim Mulkey,
4: uh-huh.
5: um, and here's the LSU football hire. It's like you're really going to miss on the splash. I mean, there, you know, I guess the possibility exists.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I guess it goes right into it because the splash here, at least at the front of everybody's mind, would be Lincoln Riley. Is he still in play?
5: Uh, I think so. You talk to people in Oklahoma, I think they would deny that, but if you're, if you're LSU and you're legitimately going to offer a coach $12 million a year, uh coach that's making in the sevens, um, I don't know how you turn that down. I don't know how... How you turn away from that type of change your your family's future? A hundred million dollar contract. It just how do you turn that down? I don't think you do. So I think timing matters, though, Dan. I mean, because I'll put you this way: if here's a hypothetical, if OU wins this weekend, next week they're playing in the Big Twelve championship game against Oklahoma State again. If they win that. I don't know if you agree with me, but I think one loss Oklahoma is in the playoffs. Probably, yeah. So, are you pulling a coach away from a playoff opportunity? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So, so then, then you are down your list. So, I think that's why Scott Woodward and you know the, those at LSU making this decision still have some dominoes that need to fall, and why why timing and coaching hires matters a lot too.
3: He is Matt Moscona every weekday afternoon after further review ESPN 104.5 Baton Rouge other markets throughout Louisiana as well. Um, You know the report that came out yesterday and this kind of has been like the college football version of as the world turns is every single day. There is some new name out there and I'm sure you've seen the Glenn Gilbo report that it's three names now and Dave Aranda is one of those guys there. I mean is that a viable option and not only is it a viable option. Do you think that that would be made he gets to go to center court of an lsu basketball game and address the crowd and people are excited or it's just kind of a "Eh, ho-hum yeah he was here for the national title but i'm not really sure i buy it
5: well first of all i i don't know that i believe glenn's reporting and it's not a knock on glenn i i just don't think that those three are the final three and i there were probably three or four different media members yesterday that all put out their, you know, this is the final list <laughs> pieces, and all of them had different names. It's like, well, like you're all either wrong or lying or I, whatever. It's it's just kind of absurd. But um, as far as Aranda, I'll tell you this, Dan. The only people that I've heard Dave's name from are people at Baylor who are afraid they might lose him. That's it. I, no, nobody that I would tell you I deem credible at LSU has mentioned Dave's name to me. Um, I think fans, there, there's a definitely a faction of this fan base that would love to have Dave Aranda back, but I think that's just a familiarity thing. Dave's done a really good job at Baylor, no question about it, and I know his family, his wife, and their kids loved Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a it was really difficult for their family to uproot from here. Um, But you don't turn down a head coaching opportunity in the big 12 at a place like Baylor. So it made sense when he took that job. But remember Dave's also from California and SC's open and Washington's open and Arizona state could be coming open. Like I think if you were to leave Baylor, that might even make more sense to go back West instead of going to LSU. I, I'm not. Listen, Dan. I would never like at this point. You don't. You don't say never with any candidate uh, because until someone's hired, nothing's ever done until it is. So, could Dave be in play? Sure, he could be in play, but I certainly don't think he's at the top of LSU's list.
3: Yeah, I mean, and I think the other part of this as well is I've talked about it numerous times on the show is that seemingly Scott Woodward, and tell me if I'm wrong here, he deals in the shadows and it's not that anybody inside the building is necessarily going to know. I mean, there's probably a handful of people that he trusts and says, hey, this is where we're at. Keep it under our hats. Let's go this way. I mean, is is that accurate there? I mean, does it seem like that's how he, he, he acts? Because, I mean, I mean, at least with LSU, like you talked about, Kim Mulkey, did anybody necessarily think Kim Mulkey other than the fact that her son played shortstop at LSU and she's from Louisiana and then the same deal with Jay Johnson because everybody thought that it was going to be Kevin O'Sullivan or they thought that it was going to be uh, uh, the uh, the coach at um, uh, uh, Vitello. Good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at, uh, yeah, exactly.
5: Um, so it is very accurate to characterize Scott as someone that works in the shadows. That's that's how he prefers it. He's, he's not said one word publicly since the press conference when Ed O'Jara was fired. And that's the way, Scott, that's just the way he works. You mentioned the Kim Mulkey hire. There was a lot of reports that the former coach was, was going to be out. It was literally zero, nothing from LSU, until a Saturday when you saw on the crawl that Nikki Fargus was taking the job with the WNBA Las Vegas Aces, and a day later – Kim Mulkey was announced. The whole deal was done in complete in complete secrecy. That's just how Scott works, and so he's not going to say anything. And I would tell you that there are probably three people that actually know what's happening. It's Scott, it's his chief lieutenant Stephanie Remp, and then one very prominent LSU booster who's probably the intermediary that works a lot of these deals on behalf of LSU. I think I think it's those th- three people, and that's that's about that's about it as far as people who actually know what they're thinking and what their real list is.
3: Let's get into some personnel Scone and Eli Ricks. We saw the news yesterday that going to enter the transfer portal. I guess there was some confusion during Ed's press conference, which it sounds like that's par for the course on a Monday with him. Um, But uh, I mean, is there thought that he could be re-recruited and opt back in or is it pretty much a foregone conclusion he's gone?
5: I mean, it's that's such a bizarre situation. I mean, Rich is from California. His whole family moved to Louisiana. They're a great family, by the way. Like I've gotten to know them a little bit. Um, his brother's in school here. Uh, both his parents work in Baton Rouge. They bought a house here. I mean, they have roots. They've established roots here. Um, I, my understanding is that he's headed to Ohio state. And I think there's always the possibility you can re-recruit an athlete. So that's, The onus is on whoever the new coach is to make that phone call early. But but the bizarre thing, Dan, is so Rick's about halfway through the season, he's had this nagging shoulder injury. He had had it in high school. He re-injured it his freshman year at LSU, then again in spring, and um, had surgery in the spring. Which led a lot of people to believe maybe he why he wasn't around the program. We just they just never came out publicly and said what it was. Well, he re-aggravated that shoulder injury. He had to have surgery midseason, and his mom went on the record. I mean, this wasn't like an anonymous source type. It was his mother went on the record and said, "This is not an opt out. This is not about Elias transferring. He had a shoulder injury. His play was suffering for it, and they decided to get it fixed." So that was a month ago. And uh, clearly something's changed in the last month, uh, either that, or they just weren't forthright at the, you know, with that original report. But uh, I have no reason to believe that Sean or Rick's sort would of have been lying at that point. Um, maybe it's just the, the volatility of a coaching change. What happens, Dan? I mean, anytime a coach is fired, you're going to lose players and recruits, but the flip side is also true. You're going to gain some recruits and transfers that you otherwise might not have been in on. So But as far as Ricks, I mean, this is a guy who would – I mean, he he was a freshman All-American last year. He was All-SEC. He led the team in interceptions. He's a guy that you want. I mean, he would be a lockdown, you know, boundary corner on on next year's LSU team if he's back healthy. So they got to re-recruit him.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and we'll see what happens. I mean, because it's – you know, it leads right into the next one is, uh, of course – kids love to have fun on twitter with the emojis and everything and then all of us me included oh what does that mean what does that mean <laughs> and i think you know where i'm going is keshon bute's uh, i guess it was the inquisitive emoji that's out there of kind of like hmm that's interesting and uh, i mean do, does anybody has anybody said like what they think that was i mean is he somebody else that's kind of like yeah i don't know if the you know lsu is the right place for me anymore or is it just kind of a hmm all right. It's interesting to find that out. Maybe uh, I'll think more about it.
5: Maybe he was thinking about what he was going to have for lunch.
3: Yeah, that's
5: true. I I, I mean, I have no idea. I, I'll tell you, Dan, I have not heard from anyone that there's a likelihood that Kesha Boutte would, would be looking to transfer. And I don't know that any player would be right to even think that until they know who the coach is going to be. But. Made no mistake. but look at like for play the hypothetical we just talked about. If LSU hires Lincoln Riley, you think Keishawn Butte is
3: going anywhere? I wouldn't think I mean, so. I
5: think, I think you'd be fired up to play in that offense. Um, but no, I, I, as far as Keishawn, I mean, that's he's the best offensive player they have. Uh, he is. I mean, he still leads the team. He didn't play since Kentucky. He still leads the team in touchdown receptions. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but he's um, he's dynamic, and I mean, you can tell, dude. If they if they can keep. This sophomore class intact. LSU has People ask me all the time, like, you know, how, how, how long till they're back? I'm like, if they keep this sophomore class intact, and that includes Ricks and Bute and guys like BJ Jalari and Jay Ward, a lot of others, that coupled with this freshman class, it's been really good, just young, I had to play a lot this year. Like, you supplement next year with a couple of transfers under a new coach? Like, there's no reason LSU couldn't be back in the conversation for a new year six bowl, you know, nine and three, ten and two type year. Um, that's that's a very plausible scenario, provided they don't have massive roster turnover. You know, they keep this core in- intact.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see because it's never a question of talent down there, Scone. I mean, I, I think we, you know, you, you obviously are closer to it than we are, but, I mean, that's one thing that I always tell people is, that's that's not the issue. Uh, one final one for you before I get you out the door. And, and speaking of talent, uh, there's no doubt about the talent of Max, Max Johnson. But it's been an up-and-down year, to say the least, for him. Do you think what we've seen in terms of some of his mechanics and, and, and things that he's done on the field this year, that's fixable with the right coaching?
5: Probably. But he is also – I'll tell you, Dan, where he's most limited is his arm. He, he doesn't have the big arm. Yeah, like I, I, don't look at Max Johnson and see. Well, that's a ten-year NFL vet. Uh-huh. You know, I think there are some physical limitations there with him. But he's a smart guy, and he usually makes the right decision with the football. He's son of a son of a quarterback, son of a coach, all that sort of stuff. It makes sense. But um, you know, the, the other thing about about Max is people were really perplexed, kind of when when they benched him against against Arkansas. Um, but I kind of get it too. LSU, he wasn't losing games for LSU, but he also wasn't playing well enough and he wasn't dynamic enough to win games for LSU. I think that's what maybe they were throwing the lure in the water to see if they could, could hook something with Garrett Nussmeyer. What I will say about the quarterback position, man, and to answer your question, yes. I mean, of course, there's room for improvement. He's a, he's a true sophomore starting, you know, for the first time in the SEC. Of, of course, there's plenty of runway there with him left. I don't think Max or Nussmeyer has played well enough to just assume the starting job next year. Uh, you got Walker Howard coming in, who's a five-star, number one quarterback in the country. He's from Lafayette, and then I, I am assuming that whoever is hired is going to bring in a transfer quarterback as well. Think, um, think Heiple bringing in, you know, Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker. Right. I, I think whoever, I think whoever the coach is has to consider that as well. So. LSU, I fully expect, will go into spring with a full-on legitimate quarterback battle to see who's going to start for whoever the new coaches. Is.
3: It's is going to be interesting to watch. There's no doubt about it, as we'll see uh, how quick the turnaround can happen there in Baton Rouge, as you alluded to, Matt Moscona. Find him on Twitter, at Matt Moscona. He is host of After Further Review weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. Central, ESPN Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, and also, too, you can watch... Him and that great Foch on Cox Sports TV there in Baton Rouge. Matt, appreciate the time as always, buddy. Please wish the misses Andrew a very happy Thanksgiving for me. Will you, will you please do that?
5: I'll do it, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too, man. We'll see
3: you. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Matt Moscona, again, one of my favorites, one of the best. We love Scone around here. As I've said before, you know, the pleasure's all on this side of the microphone whenever we've had Scone host with us, so uh, we always appreciate him jumping in. All right. Some of you might say you hate it, but make no mistake about it. The playoff committee. They want this to happen. What exactly is that? That is going to be up next right here as we close out hour one. Chuck Oliver Show. Dan Matthews in for Chuck right here on a Tuesday.
1: Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show
4: on Southern Sports Today. It's all about the players, you know, when you're playing this game. If you don't have success in this game, I don't care what else you accomplish in the in the season, there's always a but. And what comes after but usually isn't good. You, you've heard me say that before. So uh, it's a big game for us to be able to continue to try to build some momentum into the rest of the season.
3: No doubt about it. Nick Saban needs a win on Saturday in the Iron Bowl there on the plains at Auburn at Jordan Harris Stadium as it's going to be Alabama and Auburn as uh, the Crimson Tide already into the SEC championship game. But so funny, too, how fan bases are, which, by the way, uh, Alabama here looking at the uh, line 19 and a half. And I think we can all agree that when you're a fan and we all are, look, I'm not talking down to anybody because I just talked about being an LSU fan with Matt Moscona. Trust me, I get it. I am one. Um, But it's just so funny how like we, like whenever there are certain games. Like I'll give you a good example. A few years ago, 2017, I'm down in Jacksonville, and Florida is terrible that season. If you'll remember, immediately after that game, Jim McElwain got fired, and it was the dysfunction and everything, which I'm sure some people are looking and saying, hmm, ah, wow, this story sounds familiar. But there were still Georgia fans the night before when we're sitting around at dinner, and I just, I I asked the generic, how we feeling? There was an uneasiness. It was like a, hmm, it's Florida. It's Jacksonville. Anything can happen. And I've been seeing it at least Alabama Twitter has been on there and they've been saying Iron Bowl, Jordan-Hare Stadium. And at the time, it was a chance for them to win the SEC West. Like, please tell me this script doesn't happen again. But no, don't worry. 2013 2017, was that the last one that there was that that this happened as well? And then, uh, of course, uh, 2019, there was uh, when uh, Alabama uh, had lost three in in that uh, season to that point, which are – did they lose two? No, they only lost two. That's right, because they lost to LSU and then they lost to Auburn. But regardless, it's not looking the same. If you just saw Auburn from this last weekend, yes, they might play you tough for a half, but that 19-and-a-half, if you're a Bama fan – I'm feeling pretty good about it. But the college football playoff committee is rooting hard for this to happen, and you may not like it. And again, I'm going to go to Twitter for this one because it's pretty simple. They want Notre Dame in the college football playoff because I think that the whole thing is that you have to look forward to with the college football playoff is that you have to remember it's a TV show. You're talking tickets, you're talking hotels, you're talking TV, you're talking everything revenue-wise that goes into this thing, and you want the four best teams, the four sets of teams that have the most eyes watching this game, either inside the stadium or watching on TV. Because let me just use the NCAA tournament example as one. Upsets are good in round one, maybe even round two. If you have somebody pop through and get to the Sweet 16, it's fine. After the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, and the Final Four, the NCAA committee starts looking around and saying, "Mm, bit off more than we could chew here. I mean, do we really want Belmont making it to the Elite Eight here? My God. I mean, at least quietly, do we want them moving on to this next point? And I don't think necessarily that Cincinnati is that because I think that Cincinnati is a large enough school that probably you I mean, and that's the thing, too. Oh, well, this team will bring more more fans than the other one. Okay, maybe they will because they have more of a following. But you're telling me that, for example, if Cincinnati makes it into the college football playoff, that you couldn't get 40,000 Bearcat fans to go to Dallas or to Miami for the college football playoff semifinal game. I don't believe that because it's a massive game. It's a game that doesn't always happen for your program and you still want it to happen. But there is very much the path for Notre Dame to get there. And if Notre Dame is a viable option, the committee will always choose Notre Dame because I've said it before and I'll say it again. They are the, they are the school of the major city. New York City, Notre Dame. Chicago, Notre Dame. Philadelphia, same deal. Boston, boom, same deal. And even their influence on the West Coast as well. That is still there, and that's very much something that would play into the committee's mind. But you look this weekend, Oklahoma State, if it's one loss Oklahoma State and one loss Notre Dame, conference championship or not, I think that you're going to at least have the sliver of hope for Notre Dame to possibly be able to find their way in there. Michigan, Ohio State, that's going to be Ohio State all the way. But I'm telling you right now, 11-1 Notre Dame, if that possibility is distinctly there, I think you're going to be seeing the Irish in January.
0: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.
1: Define an opportunity.
0: Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now.
1: Identify a problem.
0: Creating an audio ad is time-consuming.
1: Offer a solution.
0: Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds.